What's it like when one of your friends on death row is led away to be executed? You have a prepaid call from William A. Aguera. An inmate at the California State Prison, San Quentin. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. I had to be a different complete guy, which is the guy who walked walkways of St. Quentin's death row and without a gang, without a, a group of people around me, it was just me. Soon after you went into to be on death row, and you didn't really understand the prison workout system so much. But then he said, we're going to do 75 sets of it. To me, that seems extreme. So I'm wondering if there's a danger of overtraining, wearing yourself out so that you're... <laughs> no, no, that's actually funny. That's, that's funny. I'll tell you why. That's a good one, man. No, I'll tell you why. Look, I'm going to tell you what I Welcome back to Death Row Diaries. I am Matt Ralston. And I'm William Nogueira. And today we're covering the story of Vicky and Casey White, the love duo, prisoner, and prison guard, modern-day fairy tale that took place and uh, ended poorly, I would say. And we will get into that. Because, Bill, you know firsthand about relationships between prison guards and prisoners, and I want to get a lot of juicy details from you on this. All right, well, I'm ready to go. First, we have a listener-submitted question. You can send questions or correspondence of whatever you like to our Instagram page. That is Instagram at Death Row Diaries. We're also on Facebook at Death Row Diaries. And we've begun rolling out our exclusive content for our Patreon subscribers. That is patreon.com slash Diaries. You can become a supporter, just a few dollars a month. It helps keep the show up and running. And, of course, you do get access to that bonus content, which is available nowhere else that I was speaking about. And... We've only had this up for a week, but we got a few subscribers. I want to thank Nina Silva. I want to thank Claire Hill. And, of course, Miss Edna Masias, who has a question for you, Bill. And she is writing in from... Montclair, California. Montclair, California. But she is from La Puente, California, originally. And that's where you're from, isn't it? Yeah, I actually, I, I know Edna. I went to school with her in high school. So, um, yeah, I welcome her question. It's great. Obviously, hello, Edna. Thank you for supporting the show, and thank you for listening to us uh, weekly. Yeah, and she had a pretty cool question, which is where you're at on death row. She wants to know who are your neighbors? Who are the people directly to your left and right on either side of you? Oh, wow. That's the question no one's ever asked before. Um, okay, so picture the cell, four by nine cell, very small. Yeah, there is a wall between each cell, but I mean, there's not much space. You're right there. You can hear everything when that person's talking, when that person gets up, you can hear everything. So it's living almost in a, a communal, uh, you know, community. But to my left, um, I don't think it's good that I mention people's names by name because it probably wouldn't be a smart thing, but I have actually a serial killer li living to my right. And on the other side of me, I have um, a gang member. He's a uh, you know guy, one of those guys that uh, lived his life as a gangster and, and he ended up on death row. So I, 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 it's really difficult for me to mention people's names on here that are still alive and maybe they don't want to be mentioned. But... And one of them is a serial killer, the other guy's a gangster, and beyond that, the neighbor after that is a guy who killed, I think, seven people, and the guy on the other side of him, that guy's killed four people. So you have guys that have multiple murders here, and they are, by all intended purposes, not the nicest guys in the world. So you have to hear them doing annoying things, like ranting and raving to themselves, or, I don't know, I imagine serial killers... Like, if there's not even a door there that you're overhearing stuff that you wouldn't want to? Yeah, it's an open, uh, it's like cell bars you see in movies. Um, the one guy that the serial killer sings, this guy thinks he's a, a rock star, so he sings. 
all the time. And what's better than a guy screaming at the top of his lungs all this stuff about football and basketball, but this guy sings. My other neighbor's very quiet. But yeah, you can hear basically anything. They're talking to the other neighbor. Uh, you can hear everything. Um, so yeah, it's not a very private area, although you're in a one-man cell, you still have, um, you're unfortunately privy to everything they're doing and what they're not doing. Well, thank you for the question, Edna. And now let's get into the story of Vicky and Casey White. All right, so this went down as follows. I think a lot of people know this story from seeing the news. She's a prison guard. He is a convict. So she sells her house, puts her house up for sale on April 18th. Uh, she submits her retirement paperwork a few days later. So now she withdraws all of her money uh, $90,000 in cash. And this is the, the breakout scenario. So she's going to get Casey white to be transported to a courthouse. He's in jail. Uh, he's awaiting trial for murder. He's already in jail for a while. She says she's going to a doctor's appointment. So she tells her, her peers, she's like a co-supervisor. And she says she has to take Casey White to the courthouse for a mental health evaluation. And that she's the only deputy there who's firearm certified. So she's the one that has to transport him. That's at 9.40 a.m. By 3.30 p.m., people are concerned because she's missing and Casey White is missing as well. And now we start hearing the stories of they're both missing together. Now, the question that a lot of people had was, had he kidnapped her, basically, or was it something a little more salacious? So when you started hearing the story on the news, Bill, what was your suspicion? Well, it was obviously the first suspicion is that this guy was able to overpower her. She's a woman, and he's six foot nine. This guy is a big guy to overpower her, and he um, obviously... Uh, is on the run. But as the story began developing, I mean, all, a lot of the guys here immediately said, hell no, that's a, she's involved. I mean, it was very, it, it came to that conclusion very quickly, and I, and I concurred. Um, too many things were happening that said a different story. For example, and you mentioned this a little while ago, she's the, ex the assistant director of that particular correctional um, departments. So she easily was able to say, because they have a format, they have a, a particular set of rules that they employ in order to keep both the prisoner and the staff members um, safe. And I know this because I've, I've been taken on transportation to a hospital uh, and they always have a two officers in the car. They both have weapons. You have a chase car with a sergeant and another officer, and this person is being transported, according to her, for a mental evaluation, but there is no chase car, there's no other officers, and those protocols are in place. She was able to override them because she's the assistant director. She told other deputies, hey, stand down. Who's going to argue with an assistant director? So that right there immediately told us something's up. Why would she not have a backup when you're supposed to. And then we started getting all this other feedback that she had just sold her house. She had said she's gonna retire that particular day. So there were just too many coincidences. Look, this is a human, uh, it's more like a, a human story rather than cop convict. And I know that's what everybody wants to hear, but it's more about human environment, human condition. You have a woman and you have a man. And I think somewhere along the way, she began to really understand his plight. And look, there's an attraction there. It's happened many a time. It, it's not, it doesn't happen every day in prison, but it does happen. And obviously from the planning, she sold everything. She's ready to go. She bought a car. She was ready. She had the car parked in the parking lot. When they got there, Look, it just spells one thing. Love affair, and she's behind it. Amen. 
Yeah, so I guess we're all kind of wondering about the dynamic here. What does she see in the sky? Now, she's 57 years old, nearing retirement. She, prior to this, had been an upstanding member of society. You know, she has no criminal record. Obviously, she's, you know, employed by a prison. He's 38, looks about 70, but he's a complete scumbag, too. You know, this guy's in, had been in and out of prison. He is a drug addict. He hit his brother with a sledgehammer. He was doing a lot of armed robbery, breaking and entering. He assaulted an animal at one point. And now he's got this new charge, which is the circumstances of which are not clear, but he stabbed a little old lady to death. It's what he's charged with anyway. And I'm going to say he's guilty of that. So what is she attracted to here? Okay, well, as I said, human condition. She is a person who empathizes with him. She, she sees in him what a lot of people see in Billy the Kid and Jesse James. Those guys are obviously murderers or bank robbers or criminals. But there's that fantasy there. With, with her, look, she's at retirement age. Uh, this guy's, look, he's a, no matter if you, if you don't find him attractive because you're <laughs> straight. This guy's six foot nine. Uh, he probably demands a lot of respect in the jail. And the big thing is, remember, this is a woman who, look, I'm not sure, I'm, I'm not going to say she's beautiful or she's not good looking, but prisoners are able to give a woman, a person, all their attention. When she speaks, she's listening to everything she has to say. When she tells them about whatever, and it can be little things that she had a bad cup of coffee, he immediately, well, that cup of coffee could have been this, but he engages her. Sometimes women at that age, when a man gives them attention, and it could be vice versa, it could be a, you know, a man getting the attention from a woman, they immediately respond to that. This person is paying attention to me. They're, you hear it all the time when women say, oh, my husband never listened to me. But when a guy does listen to me, it's like, oh my God, he listened to me. I think it started like that. This guy just, listened to her. He probably laughed at her jokes. He probably said a few things to her that really got her thinking about him. And he was in prison. He was brought back to, to the jail in order to go to a trial for another murder that he just confessed to. They had no idea that he was the one that did it. I'm talking about the woman he's accused of killing. Um, so he's back for that reason. I believe the reason that he comes back isn't because, well, I want to go through this trial because he was already in prison doing 75 years. This has a way deeper root. So the roots are that they had that relationship prior to him going to prison because he was at that jail going through the proceedings for to receive the sentence of 75 years to life. So he goes to prison. I think they're in communication. And at some point, obviously, they make this plan. He cannot get out if he's in a prison because she has no domain there. So for him, her to have access to him, to be able to break him out, he has to be at her location. What's the best way to do that? Call up and say, hey, I'm the one guilty for this murder. So you have to bring me back in order to put me through a trial. That's the only way they can do it. So this is an, an elaborate scheme from the very beginning. When he confessed to that murder to get back to a trial, that was already planned. And that gave her access to him and domain over his circumstances, which was the perfect plan in order to break him out. Wow. That, that might be like breaking news here. So I haven't heard that before. It is breaking news. You only get that from different diaries. So how long do you think he had been cultivating this relationship or the two of them had started to be attracted to each other or whatever? Well, it was it was months before he left the prison. He was already gone to prison because there was actually uh, a note dropped on this guy. And he, his cell was searched and they found a weapon in his cell. At that point... The jailer is at said, hey, we can't keep this guy here. He's too dangerous. 
So when they take him to prison, he's already in a relationship with this woman. So I don't know exactly when the, the, the relationship started, but it was prior to him going to prison. And as I said, he, he was um, involved in a situation where they searched the cell, they found a weapon, and the, the person in charge of that jail got rid of him and put him in prison because they couldn't have him there. So to get back to the place he needed to get, he needed a relationship with her. He needed a scheme to get back. And the only way he could have gotten back was by saying, look, I'm confessing to a murder. Bring me back. I want to go through a trial. That is the scheme. That's a huge, elaborate plan. But by being in the system as long as I have, I can tell you it's exactly what happened. Wow, that's interesting. But it, it totally makes sense. So at some point, I'm assuming before they hatched a plan for her to break him out, they had started to become intimate. Now, how do you think that works? Do you think they had consummated anything prior to this? How does that go down? It's very possible, but I would have to know the layout of that particular jail, what are the camera situations, how to, like, for example, let's just talk about San Quentin. Prior to them putting cameras everywhere, sure, an officer could have opened the guy's door, went into his cell, closed the door, and done whatever he wanted. It didn't happen that often, but it does happen. There have been officers fired because of that reason. So it really depends on the layout. I don't know how much how much camera coverage they had in the cell areas in those county jails because every person in that county jail, except for a few, of course, are pre-trial detainees. You can't... Um, intrude on a person's privacy prior to them being convicted of a crime. So it really depends on that. But I'm willing to bet you because she had such control, she's the assistant director, she probably had moments where she could have been alone with him easily. She could have gone to his cell, she could have made sure nobody was there, she could have made the arrangements for transportation. There were a lot of circumstances where she could have been alone with him. And they consummate that marriage, whether it was a, a touch of a hand, a kiss or something further is anybody's guess. Only she and he know that. And no one's having conversations with this guy and she obviously can't talk now either. So, but yes, obviously the relationship was a full-blown relationship for a woman who was, by the way, employee of the year 2022. A person who had never had priors in any way, shape, or form who was considered an outstanding officer for her to change her entire life, get fake IDs, get all this plan in place, sell her home, put in for retirement, this guy did a number on her. I mean, there's no other way to put it. He convinced her that he was the knight in shining armor and she was the damsel in distress who needed him in her life. So I guess I can understand. She's in one of these towns that is just part of the prison industrial complex. It's the middle of nowhere. There's nothing going on. She's aging. She's single. I can understand her wanting to get it on with this prisoner. But a step very far removed from that is him convincing her to sacrifice her entire reputation and her entire life for them to flee. And... I mean, this is a big deal. So how do you think he broached that? Did he just kind of chip away at it? I, I know you weren't there, but how do you think he actually convinced her to do this? Yeah, that's a good question because her, I'm sure her response when he even brought, or maybe she brought this up to her, but when they started really seeing each other, she's ready for retirement. She has a pension. She has everything. She could have told him very easily, hey, listen, I'll just come to see you. Once I retire, I have no connection to the department. I can come see you. We can get married. And I'm sure that once that came up, he didn't see any real value in that. And that's when he began to chip away. Well, look, we can go here together. You can cash in your page pension. You can do this. We'll be up. It'll be us. It'll be love. I'd say, you know, it's the hard sell, but when emotions are involved when women are in love or a man's in love it's very easy you've seen guys look we see it all the time in these schemes where guys are territorial guys that a woman gives up her whole life savings to a guy she's only met over the phone so it is possible 
it happens. Yeah, and this was meticulously... Yeah, I mean, they planned this out, I'm assuming, for a long time. I mean, she had to, you know, file her papers, withdraw the money, put her house up for sale, visit a sex toy shop. Um, she had, you know, to to procure a vehicle, and, and I think they painted it, tried to disguise it. Um, I mean, a lot of planning must have gone into this, uh, and I'm, I'm assuming months of it, and that whole time, she's got all these chances to go, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> and, and she didn't, you know, they got a three or four hours head start and they just started driving. Yeah. And that's part of the problem here. Look, she's very smart. She's very calculated, obviously very organized. And look, whoever convinced who of what, was it her with him? The bottom line is that, most people who get out of prison, they always put all the planning into the getting out of prison parts. The part that they don't plan very well, and this is the case with them as well, is what you do after you get out. So let me explain. And this is where logic comes in, and she did not use logic. Obviously, she's working on emotions. She's in love with this guy. And whether he's in love with her, it's, I don't really know. I bet that he's not. But he sees her as the means to an end, how to get out of the situation. And he needs her. She's got money. With that kind of money, you can make it. But here's the big problem. You put all this plan to getting out. They get out. They got the car. They got the idea. They have the clothes. They have the sex toys. They have everything. Obviously, you can tell where her mind's at. They're about to break out of prison. And what's she thinking about? She's thinking about going to the sex shop to get some toys or some you know, lingerie or something. This is where her mind's at, because this is what he's feeding her. But with most people that in prison, the problem is once they get out, they don't have a... You have 60 seconds remaining. Because the plan normally is let's get out. But once they're out, what do they do? They don't... This guy does not know anything but drugs, robbery, drugs, robbery. To make it on the outside, you have to have a destination. Once you get to that destination, then you have to live a crime-free life. You have to integrate in the community, have a plan for finances. These guys never think of that. They always think about getting out, but once they're out, they don't know what the hell to do. And you can see that this is exactly what happens here. They don't know where to go after they're already out. They're in Tennessee, they're here, they're there, they're at car washes, he's walking around. Not a good situation. They didn't plan it correctly, or at least thoroughly. Man, can you imagine the adrenaline just the electricity and excitement in that car. I mean, she has sold her house and cashed out her retirement. She's got all this cash on hand. He's broken out of prison. You know, he's taken off his prison garb and put on the clothes she bought him. Man, just in that car, do you think they were delirious? Do you think they were talking about what to do next? I, I can't even imagine. Yeah, I'm willing to bet that the excitement was there, the adrenaline, I probably, he probably couldn't get far enough, quick enough to get somewhere quiet so he could be that, he could become Fabio, he could be that, he don't have the hair for it, of course, but, you know, he could be that guy that she's looking for, that emotional, that you know, sexual charge, she's looking for, and maybe he delivered. You know, you've been in prison a long time, I'm sure the first night you could become freaking Rambo here, but, <laughs> look, you know, you know, it, it, there's a part of this where there is some called devaluation, and and I'm sure that once she's with this guy for several days, there is a devaluation. She begins to devalue him of what he's worth to her because of he's not living up to the expectations. That look, these guys that are in prison, uh, I'm in prison. I can understand. People that come to see these guys, they fall in love with these guys, it's because they dedicate their time to it. But once you get around the guy a long time, and you really begin to understand who the guy is, and see all facets of his personality, he devalues in your eyes. I am sure that she had begun to devalue him, because he was already thinking of ways to get rid of her. How to get far enough away, and once he's established himself, he's going to ditch her, because she's going to be an anchor to him. Because I know what he wants to do. He wants to keep doing what he's doing because that's all he knows. That's all he knows. He doesn't understand getting a normal job at a construction site. 
he understands in his mind that there's no way he can hide. There was mention that they would go to Canada because they have no extradition for the death penalty in the case that he had pending was a capital offense. Look, ladies and gentlemen, that is absolutely untrue. Canada supposedly does not extradite people. And if you're ignorant, you believe that. The truth is this. A couple decades ago, a guy on death row here named Charles King, freaking mass murder, serial killer, weirdo, ran to Canada. And they caught him over there. And Canada said, are you going to execute him? And absolutely. Here you go. You can have him. And they turned him over. So that extradition thing that they don't extradite people who have the death penalty, absolutely untrue. So if they were believing that, oh man, they should have uh, been researching a little bit more than that. Right, I hadn't thought about that. But of course now the reality is setting in for her. You know, before there was the anticipation, there was probably the aspect of doing, you know, knowing that you're breaking the rules in the prison by going into his cell. And she just, she's not going to be sleeping in the same bed with this giant hairy guy in prison. She's not going to be spending, <laughs> you know, all day with them. And imagine, you know, waking up in the Holiday Inn and maybe she's like, wow, this is not really what I thought it would be. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. But then again, it, it may be exactly what she was looking for. So it's very difficult, but I'm sure that everything starts setting in once, you know, you're never going to stop running. There's the emotional exhaustion that comes with that. of always going to be on the run. There's no rest because they're never going to stop looking for you. That's something that, that every person that leaves a situation like this or enters into a situation like this has to take into consideration. You're never going to rest. You're always looking behind your shoulder. Yeah. That is setting in at some point. Yeah, and especially this serious kink in the plan, which they can't really do anything about, is that he's six foot nine. He can't blend in. You're going to notice him, you know, any, anywhere he goes. And so I don't know where they could have gone that, you know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't have been able to really leave the house or the hotel room without legitimate well-founded fear of being caught. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's no way to avoid it. He is not a person that blends in. He's, he's just, he's a Leviathan. He's six foot nine. Hell, in the NBA, he would stick out. <laughs> so there's, there's nothing. He's bald. He's got all these crazy tattoos. But the big thing is, he's an MO. He's not going to change. He's going to be good for three, four weeks while they're on the run, and, and if they get to the destination where they're going, sooner or later, he's going to go back to drugs. Sooner or later, he's going to go back to doing what he does. He reverts to the person. But you can't completely change, unless you're a sociopath, who you really are, but for small periods of time. That's going to end because that drive, that drug addiction, the addictions that he has are not going to change. So... That is probably setting in with her uh, walking around car washes. Not a good idea. I just, I, I don't see how he, in any way, what world he believed he could walk around if he would not notice who he was. Well, let's talk about the plan, or lack thereof, because we know some stuff. We don't know all the details, but she had cash. That's very important. They ditched her car. That's a good call. It seemed like they were just driving around that area, like they didn't go straight north or south, and they were actually kind of nearby, you know, the same region. What do you think their plan was? I don't know if you can speculate on that, but more importantly, what would have been the correct plan? Yeah, that's a good question, but look, the, their plan, whatever their plan was, it didn't work. Because they were just one state over, it wasn't like they went along in that much time frame. They could have been over, They could have been in Canada by then. Um, but look, look, she is. They're both Caucasian. It's not like the only plan could have been Canada. You can't stay in the United States and survive. Mexico is out of the question because they don't. I'm not sure they speak Spanish or not. But still, you're not going to be able to fake that. The way you look, the way you are, who you are is not going to work. 
that she had law enforcement background helped because she could basically guess what they were going to do. That they had at least a six-hour head start, huge, but they didn't take advantage of it. So I believe that I'm correct in my assessment that they had a great initial plan to get him out. Once they were out, that plan kind of crumbled because they were just reaching for straws because maybe they really didn't think that they could pull it off. Something, some doubt in the back of her mind thought this is not going to work. But once it did work, they at one point are thinking, what do we do now? You know what I would have done? I would have gone to the bayou, baby. I would have gone down to Louisiana to Cajun country where, uh, you know, it's a little bit of an insular culture in certain parts. Maybe the people aren't following tabloid news as much as they would be in other places. And then you have access to boats and all kinds of things. That's that's what I would have done. I wouldn't have gone to Evansville. I mean, what are you going to do there? You know, you're right. Nowadays, they have facial recognition. Everybody's got a computer in their hand. So, you know, you're probably right. Cajun country, uh, I wouldn't go to Florida, but yeah, uh, Louisiana, if you bought a parcel of land, got some, a house in inland where you don't have that many people running around there, you know, they have cash. So, yeah, that would have worked. But again, you're still staying in the United States, and I'm not sure that's a very good idea. And at six foot nine, this guy's going to stick out in the bayou. At some point, he's got to go to a grocery store. At some point, he's not, no one's going to suddenly leave the city life and live in a swamp and be okay with that. Yeah, he probably has zero survival instinct in the, in the bayou so, or in the wilderness. That's not gonna, I don't think that even crossed their mind because they're thinking, just run and go to Canada or something. What about putting him in a wheelchair? Could that kind of obscure the height a little bit? in a wheelchair and he's a midget you know he's a midget there's no way you, you can't get past that you put a guy in the six foot nine in a wheelchair his legs are going to stick out you probably can't say okay he's six foot nine but you can tell it's a big guy he was a big guy you know six foot nine three hundred and some pounds that's a big guy so they're getting reports of sightings all over the place it's not even far from where they escaped not surprisingly, they catch on and, and they start chasing him. And now it's a high-speed chase, Thumb and Louise style. You're not getting out of that. And Good call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. So this is desperation time. She ends up shot. He's very broken up about it when he's interviewed later on. Um, the, I think, official story is that she committed suicide. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah. What I, well, I think the plan really comes to a crashing end when they catch on to who they were. And you have a guy in a car wash who's calling the police department. I don't know how many freaking times. They're not listening to him. He continues to call, continues to call, and they're not listening to me. Finally, they take him serious. And, of course, it is them, and they're in a, a speed chase. At that point, she's... She understands. She is law enforcement. She understands what's going on. There's helicopters, high-speed chase. We're not getting away from these people. It's impossible. And when the car is stopped, she's in the car, and look, they say she's got a gun. Um, and I believe at that point, it's everything crashes for her. She understands. She can never go back to her life. She's lost everything. Everything is gone. gone. And she doesn't want to face the people that she's take care of, the her peers who are other law enforcement officers. That's a lot to take in. And she took the route to take her own life. Um, look, even if she was willing to stand up to the scrutiny of her own peers and what happened, and I'm not sure if she thought about this. She probably would have got about five years in prison for it. But those five years would have been hell. And the reason it would have been hell it's because at the end of the day, she's still law enforcement. Had she gone to a prison, there would have been a lot of people trying to do her harm because of the fact that she tormented people for years as being the assistant director of that correctional facility she worked in. That's difficult. And I don't believe she wanted to face that. 
and therefore uh, took her own life at the end. Yeah, but if she could have made it out, there would have been a book, there would have been a movie, movie rights, and and stuff like that. But feasibly, she could have gotten through it, and she would have only been uh, in her early 60s. Yeah, if she would have thought this thing through carefully, and I know it's a big job at that moment, you have a gun in your hand. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really difficult to have a gun in your hand, you have law enforcement around helicopters, it's very stressful. It's it's a moment of truth. She's not going to be thinking about whether well, I can get past this. I, she's not thinking correctly. She's thinking emotionally. She, her whole house has crumbled. It's a house of cards, but it's crumbled. And she made a split-second knee-jerk reaction to a situation, and it was the wrong move. Had she been able to think this out and just stop the clock for a moment and say, listen, Let's just talk to Bill for one moment, and Bill's going to give you what you can do with the situation to come on top. This is what it was. Turn herself in, go in. She throws herself at the mercy of court, take responsibility. She goes to prison. Three or five years she'll get for that. Probably do half that time. Law enforcement, whole life of, uh, of being a good citizen, first offense. And then, while she's in prison, she writes every producer she can in Hollywood. She writes literary agents, she writes her memoir, when she gets out, she plays it for what it is. I was steered wrong, I fell in love, the love story, Bonnie and Clyde, that's a, a marketing bonanza that every literary agent, possibly, would want to get a hold of. Hollywood would write a, would write a movie about it, and although she would still be shunned by her peers, she would live a normal life and lesson well learned. Well, how do you think that would have worked in a jury situation or just just public opinion or perception? I mean, would she be seen as a sympathetic character? Because it is kind of pathetic, but on the other hand, what she did was very wrong. I mean, this guy is a dangerous guy that she busted out of jail. Well, there's different ways you could play that. She could have just avoided a trial and just threw herself at the mercy of the court. She's like, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Uh, or she could play a part with, I was going for a jury and said I was threatened. This guy was going to kill me. I had no choice. He said he had friends out there. Uh, he's a, a, you know, a white supremacist. She, she could use a different, a different, a number of different tactics. A lawyer would have to uh, probably advise her on that better. But, I mean, my play would have been, hey, throw her some of the mercy of court, play the whole Bonnie and Clyde thing. I fell in love. I let my emotions run wild. I'm sorry. Um, whatever and play it that way what do you think about her level of safety let's just say a few months had gone by and they're living in some little ramshackle shack and probably still under a lot of stress i mean this is a guy who assaulted his brother with a sledgehammer as i said he stabbed a woman to death he uh, assaulted a dog which i know the audience thinks is definitely the worst part of all that um, I mean, but is a guy like that able to maintain a romantic relationship without, you know, attacking the person that he's intimate with? I don't think he's a problem attacking her. I think that she devalues after a while. Once he, he knows where the money's at, he has access to everything. He understands she's anger. At some point, she is very much in danger. Look, we know he killed another person. Uh, Connie um, Ridgeway, he stabbed her to death. He said that he did so because he, he was a hired killer to do it. Um, and he wrote a letter of confession to it. We know he can kill. We know he's violent. If at some point he doesn't care too much about her, he understands that she is expendable. And then it comes down to the point is how much does she benefit or how much does he benefit from her being around and he could use all the money she has and not have her around, I'm very sure that he, at that point, would then do away with her. But do you think, on the other hand, knowing his profile, he's violent, he's shady, I mean, could he actually just love this woman and, and you know, they, they would have a normal relationship and he would be a normal person in that household? except for when he left the household and, you know, committed armed robberies and stuff? I mean, is that a thing that happens? Well, let's just look at it in that sense. Let's say that 
he is romantically attached to her, that he really does love this woman and she loves him. The problem is still that they're in a very volatile situation where at any time someone can come and take them, there's police, there's media, that's a lot of stress. And no matter how much love conquers, that stress value is gonna is gonna crumble the foundation that they have. I on the other hand believe that yeah, he was interested, she's a woman. What else is he gonna do? And she's also an answer to mean. I think that he a means to that. I think that he really was looking at the bigger picture for himself. I don't think that there was uh, the Bonnie and Clyde that really loved it, that he would have lost his life for her. No, I think that it was a situation where he took full advantage of it. It was important for him because she provided the exit that he needed, and he took it. Yeah, imagine the resentment that would probably accumulate on her part, too. I mean, my girlfriend is still mad that I forgot to pick her up at the airport three months ago, and if I do anything to screw up, that's probably coming out. So the first time they get in an argument, she's going to say, I left my entire life for you. I threw away all my money for you. I, you know, I'm a fugitive because of you. I would imagine that that would build up and fester. It's just hard to have a normal relationship at that point. Yeah, I also believe that there is the fact of fear. I mean, she... At the end of the game, she's afraid of this guy. You know, how can you not be? She's what five foot four or five foot three, and he's six foot nine. There's an intimidation factor that that exists, and that could be what gets her going. And she, you know, she's always a take charge type of person, and you have a now guy who takes charge of you. Now, a lot of people find that attractive; they like that. So, you know, there's a lot of dynamics going on here. But none of those scenarios end well for me. At least the way I see things, uh, they don't end well. Uh, the best thing, look, what does he have to lose? He has absolutely zero lose. Yeah, he's doing 75 years to life already. Now he's facing the death penalty on top of that because of the murder of Connie Ridgway. He has nothing to lose. If this woman offers him the way out, hell yeah, you could take At the end of the day, for that entire escape and all that, what does he get? An extra five years. What, how does that matter to him? This is a win-win situation for uh, this cat. It's a win-win. Casey White has a win-win situation. He got out for a, for a week or so. He had a woman with him. He became legendary. I'm sure you could get a book written about him and how what really happened. This is a win-win situation for him. So is he, is he a total badass in prison now or when he goes to prison? Like, is betting a female guard the the white whale is is that like winning the championship uh depending on who you're talking to most convicts have rules and those rules are you never cross that line if you can use law enforcement great but you don't have a relationship with them it's just their rules certain convicts feel that way the purist believes that They'll look upon him as, uh, you know, I, I don't know how they'll look at him. He's in a different state. They look at things differently. He could play the whole, yeah, hey, look, I manipulated my way. I did that. I'm the king of the hill. He could say that. How much really respect does it get him in prison? I don't know. I mean, he was already a guy, a formidable guy, big guy. I'm sure he already had a bit of respect. This gets him maybe a little more respect, but it also depends on who's looking at him. In prison, it's all about who's looking at you. Perspective is everything. Certain people look down on relationships with officers. Others think it's the greatest thing in the world. So it really depends on what room he's sitting with and who is in that room with him. So what's the line? Because we talked about in earlier episodes, you're friendly with certain guards, and there's a story where one of the guards was actually telling a prisoner some personal details about his life, such as I think his wife's name and the fact that he was having an affair. But what is the, Correct. what is the line? Because would you say that you have a personal relationship with any of the uh, COs? I do not, but I always conduct myself professionally. I mean, sure. Every morning, good morning, good afternoon. How you doing? Uh, you know, they, those are human interactions, and, and, a, and a, if a person says, hey, my, my foot is, hey, well, how'd, you, uh, how'd that happen? Or, you have no 
normal conversations, but when, I never crossed that line of professionalism. It's like your doctor. Your doctor says, how you doing? But he's not really wanting to know, hey, are you sleeping? What's his name? No, it's, it's a very professional relationship. I like to conduct myself at all times professionally with staff members. It's just the rule that I live by. But, you know, there's other people that don't. They, they, they began to talk about things. They, you know, their wives or they, they went hunting or they went fishing. And that's how it starts. It's, it's a process of erosion. It's, it's an ethical erosion for me. One that I don't ever want to start with. So I stay very professional. Courteous, but very professional. Have you seen when you were in jail or since you've been in prison, have you seen an intimate relationship with a guard and a prisoner? Now, I would think from talking to you, I think a lot of prisoners might say they've done that, but maybe it might not even be true. Sure, that happens all the time. Guys, it's like being in a room with a bunch of high school kids or eighth graders. And every one of them has gone to third base with Mary Sue Jane over here. And we know it's all cool. So, yeah, you have a lot of that. But there have been instances here where guards have been caught. They've been fired because they had an intimate relationship with a prisoner. It's happened. It's happened on a number of occasions. It's not often. But it does happen every once in a while. And I think it's when you, those lines are blurred. Of course, it usually happens between a male and a female. And it probably happens more in female prisons where male guards are the ones pushing the issue, we've heard all those horror stories of female inmates becoming pregnant and all this stuff, with guys a little bit different. Uh, guys in prison are, are more aggressive. Um, you know, they work out a lot, they get in very good shape, and they listen very well. So you see sometimes that female guards or female officers or law enforcement will strike up a relationship with them. I don't see the benefit of it. A woman can walk in any bar and get laid. It's not that difficult. The guy's the one trying to get somewhere. So how they're convinced that this is a good idea, they're throwing away their career. Look, I wouldn't throw away my career just to be have a, a one-eye fling with a woman that's decently attractive. I, I just, but it does happen. And I've never understood it completely. But I do believe it has to do with listening. They listen to them. They become the center of attention of a person. And they've never been the center of attention of a guy who carries himself well, he speaks correctly, he reads a lot of books, he understands the human psyche, he understands women, and he comes off as extremely understanding. And I understand that, I get it. I understand where that comes from. And women are usually attracted to men emotionally rather than physically at first, at least in some cases, where guys is the opposite. But you know that, man. All too well. Do a lot of attractive women find themselves in the profession of corrections officer? Oh, well, you know, there, there are attractive women that work here, sure. You know, there's a number of them, of course. I mean, I don't think the prerequisite is you could be freaking ugly, like, looking, looking like tube on a buck and stuff, but, um, yeah, there, there are obviously women that are good looking. I don't think that anybody thinks about that when they sign up to become a peace officer or law enforcement. It just, it's something they like in their life, they're passionate about, and they become uh, an officer. But there are, yes, obviously, there are women that are attractive. And I can notice someone say, that's an attractive person, but not be physically attractive because of those, those barriers I live my life by. So how would this work exactly? Let's say your neighbor, the serial-killing vocalist, struck up a relationship <laughs> with a female guard. How... Like, what are the logistics? I mean, could she reach into the cell? Could she uh, enter the cell? Are there places in, the, you know, outside of the cell, on the yard, or in the corridors, or in the showers? How how could this actually take place? All right. So yeah, I mean, law enforcement or, or correctional officers have complete control of you here. They can enter your cell. They can reach into your cell. They can take you to shower. But the dynamics on death rows were different. You have to be cuffed up anytime anyone takes you anywhere. Uh, on the yard, you have gunners that are looking down onto the yard. So, of course, you have women that are gunners, too. So they're looking at the shower, they're looking at your shower. All these things can transpire. The actual physical contact between a prisoner and a guard are very limited, especially now with the cameras that are everywhere on the building for the safety of both the officers and the prisoner. Prior to that, which is about a year and a half ago, there was no cameras. And 
an officer can easily open your door and step in and close the door behind her and that's it. Or it could be a guy, I don't know. Whatever your whatever floats your boat. But yes, it is possible. Um, you know, yeah. The, the, the circumstance, you, you can also talk to the person because there's no uh, full door where you have to yell. You can whisper to something they can hear you. So can it happen? Yes. Does it happen often? Absolutely not. It's something that doesn't happen here. That's why the case of Vicki uh, White and this guy named Casey is so unique and so extreme at the same time because they're under very controlled circumstances and they still worked out this whole thing. So that makes your eyes rise or your eyebrow rise on uh, who was manipulating who, what kind of manipulation was going on, or was there any manipulation going on at all? Was this completely mutual? And that's something that only two people know. So if you had to bet, since you've been on death row, has this taken place in San Quentin? Absolutely. If you look online, there was a guy on the mainline here who actually sued a female employee here because he said they sex- she sexually molested him. And he won. He won in court. So this is not speculation. This actually happened. I was watching the news. It was a couple of years ago. But an inmate here, he said that the female um, um, officer or female, I think it was, she was an employee here, molested him sexually molesting and forced him to have sexual contact with her. And he won that lawsuit. Well, she probably could have done that, right? By threatening things and leveraging yeah. things. Get the hell out of here. Are you serious? And what? You know, everybody was clowning this guy. Wait a minute. First of all, oh, she forced you to have sex, huh? Really? And then you sue her because the... Uh, the mental anguish you went through was so horrible. Get the hell out of here. I mean, I was just picturing. <laughs> I was just picturing if you don't have sex with me, I'm gonna tell the warden that you assaulted me or something like that. Uh, blackmail. Type. Yeah, I don't believe that. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I just don't believe it. I think that he was involved as much or more than she was. And when he got caught, he figured I can sue this person. He was a piece of garbage. Is what he was. But I mean, look, it happens. It happens. I mean, I'm sure that if you go on the internet, you'll find numerous cases that happen around the country where guards are uh, inappropriately in a relationship with an inmate. Was this particular guy like a Lothario? Was he a charming, intelligent guy? Good-looking guy? Uh, he's a normal-looking guy. He wasn't doing that much time, but it got him out of prison. It got him a lawsuit. He won whatever the amount of money was. He won. Well, this has been interesting. That was the story of Casey and Vicki White. No relation, as far as we know. So thanks again for listening, and make sure and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Death Row Diaries. Go to the Patreon page, support the show, get content that you cannot otherwise get. That is patreon.com slash Diaries. And until then, I've been Matt Ralston. And I've been William Aguirre. Be safe. Be aware of your surroundings. Your life can depend on it. We'll see you next time.